All right, let's get into the sermon today. Um, Joe, I said to Joe this morning, he was leading or playing guitar, I said, um, has Puddle Gun given you a fright at all? He said, no, but it is weird having that, you know, right behind you kind of thing. So this is Puddle Gun. He said, what does, what does that guy have to do with Christmas anyway? And I said, nothing, has absolutely nothing to do with Christmas. Uh, but as one of the main characters in the Silver Chair, which is one of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, we're journeying through the Silver Chair. Uh, in contrast to this morning, where the theme is rejoice, it's Rejoice Sunday, uh, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. In contrast to rejoicing, uh, we have Puddle Glum, who's not the most um, positive character in the uh, whole of the series. Uh, his name kind of gives it away, Puddle Glum. You know, if you if you if you miss that. I can't help you, but that's his name, Puddle Glum, and if that, uh, that, that kind of gives it away a little bit. These are, these are some of the things that um, Puddle Glum says. Uh, for Puddle Glum, the glass is always half empty. It's never half full, it is always half empty. Uh, so offering Eustace and Jill, early in the story when they first meet, he offers them a place to um, sleep. He says, there you are, best you can do. The, the kids are shattered, they've been up all night flying on the back of owls, of course, and landed in the swamp where Puddle Glum lives in a wigwam. Uh, best we can do, you'll lie cold and hard, damp too, I shouldn't wonder, won't sleep a wink, most likely, even if there isn't a thunderstorm or a flood or if the wigwam doesn't fall down on top of us all as I've known them to do. Uh, by the end of that speech the kids have already fallen asleep, they're, they're that tired, but um, hey, Puddle Bump's not very positive. Uh, the next morning, good morning guests, he said, though when I say good, I don't mean it won't probably turn to rain or it might snow or fog or thunder. You didn't get any sleep, I dare say. Uh, yes, we did, though, said Jill. We had a lovely night, uh, said the marshal, all shaking his head. I see you're making the best of a bad job. That's right, you've been brought up well, you have. You've learned to put a good face on things. Please, we don't, we don't know your name, said Eustace. Puddle Glum's my name, but it doesn't matter if you forget it. I can always tell you again. The children sat down on each side of him. They now saw that he had very long legs and arms, so that although his body was not much bigger than a dwarf's, he would be taller than most men when he stood up. The fingers on his hands were webbed like a frog's, and so were his bare feet, which dangled in the muddy water. He was dressed in earth-coloured clothes that hung loose about him. I'm trying to catch a few eels to make some eel stew for dinner, said Puddle Glum. Though I shouldn't wonder if I don't get any, and you won't like them much if I do. Why not, asked Scrub? Why, it's not in reason that you should like our sort of food, though no doubt you'll put a bold face on it. All the same, while I'm catching them, if you could try and light a fire, no harm in trying. Uh, the wood's behind the wigwam, it may be wet. You could light it inside the wigwam and then we'd get all the smoke in our eyes. Or you could light it outside, then the rain would come and put it out. Here's my tinderbox. You won't know how to use it, I suppose. <laughs> Presently, the marsh wheel joined them. In spite of his expectation of catching no eels, he had a dozen or so, which he had already skinned and cleaned. Now, said Puddlegum, uh, those eels will take a mortal long time cooking, and either of you might faint with hunger before they've done. I knew a little girl, but I best not tell you that story. It might lower your spirits. And that's a thing I never do. <laughs> it might lower your spirits, and that's a thing I never do. Uh, and I could give you quote after quote after quote. That's Puddle Glum right throughout the, the whole book. And one of the themes of the Silver Jair is this swampy, misty, confused kind of discipleship. And, and later on, Jill calls Puddle Glum, Puddle Glum, you're so wet, you're such a wet blanket kind of thing. Is that kind of personality and character. Uh, pessimism and optimism. Pessimistic personalities and optimistic personalities. Um, the extreme versions of each kind. Uh, well, you're going to bump into f all sorts of folk who occupy all sorts of spaces in life's journey, aren't you? You may know some puddle glums in your life. 
and then you may know out the other end some very happy people that are happy no matter what kind of thing. You ask them, oh, how are you going? And they're like, oh, I'm doing fabulously, top of the world, never been better. But you know that their fridge just died and the car failed its warrant and they were recently demoted at work and their dogs left them for another family. But then, like, oh, no, never been better, life's so good. You're like, yeah, I know some of your story. Life isn't really that good at the moment, but all right, anyway, say whatever you want to say. I guess that might be helpful in life somehow. Then you go to other people, how are you? Oh, I'm all right, I suppose. I'm not six feet under. I guess I'll be able to fight another day. <laughs> oh, brilliant, glad you're going so well. But again, you, you know this story. Uh, and you know that their business just made a record profit, their daughter just got accepted into NASA and they won the meat pack at the school, the school raffle kind of thing, and it's like, oh, not six feet under, I'll live to fight another day. Like, Your daughter just got accepted into NASA, it's probably better than average, I would say, kind of thing, but you know, there's these, these personalities that manage to distort the story of life in all sorts of uh, directions. Both cases leave you shaking your head in bewilderment. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm never inspired by the optimism of the first instance. You know, I know your dog just left you for another family and your fridge died and you're saying you're top of the world, never been better. It's like, I'm not inspired by that. That just sounds silly to me. Uh, but nor am I inspired by the pessimism of the second, obviously. In, in both cases, uh, you know, I leave her and go, come on, just be a little bit more real. Read the room. Be self-aware, have a look at what's happening in life kind of thing. Just pay attention so that we can relate to each other on an equal playing field kind of a thing. Neither inspired by either of them. Uh, I think the Christian faith is more realistic than what people perceive it to be. I think the Christian faith is, is far more realistic than what people at times perceive it to be. There's a, there's a sense of realism to the Christian faith that doesn't shy away from the reality of how life is, whether your daughter got accepted into NASA or whether your dog left you for another family, the Christian faith doesn't require you to tone one down and talk the other one up. You, you can just be real with the reality of what's happening, what's unfolding, what's there. Uh, faith, hope, love, joy, it doesn't shy away from earthly, complicated, exhausting, impossible, tear-jerking realities of life. Faith, hope and love doesn't shy away from the tear-jerking impossibilities of life. They're, being, they're, they're realities that can be known in those situations. Accepting those realities, not denying those realities. Faith, I don't think, is ever a denial of reality. Faith is never a denial of reality. And certainly faith, hope, love, joy are not optimism or positivity or the power of positive thinking or anything like that. Um, nor are those things the opposite of pessimism, pessimism either. Faith, hope, love, they're this, they're this something other. They're, the, they're this thing that is other to optimism or pessimism. They're, they're, they're not that. They're other than that. In regard to the cross, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, in his, in his anguish, he, he, he's so anguished about that which lies before him that he sweats, he sweats blood. That, that's pretty real. Scripture tells the story, records the account. It doesn't shy away from the anguish of that which is before him. And yet the writer of Hebrews talks about Christ for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The, the anguish is such that Christ is, shed, is sweating blood. And yet for the joy that was before him, Christ endures the cross. The joy before him. Not, not because Jesus had a great positive mental attitude. Uh, was able to make you know, chirpy confessions even on dark stormy nights kind of thing. No, no, there, there was there's something else going on. So the question is, how do you summon joy? How do you stir up joy in your life? 
Uh, that's a challenging reality in a pandemic. How do you, how do you, you know, how do you summon up a joy-filled 2020 and 2021? And we're looking for a smooth sailing, joy-filled 2022 because it'll all be finished by the, uh, the 31st. I don't know if you knew that. By 31st of December, it's all over, and we go back to reset on the first. So that's good news for you this morning. How do you summon up joy? It's challenging if your fridge just died and your dog left you for another family. Um, challenging if you suppose that it's somehow an optimistic disposition rather than a pessimistic one, because it's not that. Uh, challenging if joy is somehow found in the confession of the absurd. Joy is not found in the, the confession of the absurd. My dog didn't leave me. The fridge is fine. It's going to keep things cold. In Jesus' name, even though there's no power going on, kind of thing. COVID isn't a thing. We're not even having to worry about that. Um, everything will be back to normal. That, that's not, that kind of talk is not the catalyst for joy. That, I don't really know what that is. It's not faith either. It's just saying things that aren't. It's saying absurdity in the face of reality, and, and that's not what faith is. Faith is a trust, something other than that. Ultimately, joy is found in Christ. Which is to say joy is found in the story of Christ. Which is to say joy is found in the person of Christ. Uh, which is to say joy is found in Christ and our knowing of Christ and our relating to Christ and our knowing about Christ and knowing what Christ is up to in the world. All of those things kind of, um, they, they merge together. I know Lisa's story, but I know Lisa and knowing her helps me to know the story. Which It's, it's kind of a, it's not that I, oh no, you don't just know her story, you know her. It's like, yeah, I do, but those things are all woven together. We know the story of Christ, yet we know Christ. We know what Christ is up to in the world. The Holy Spirit, joy is known in the Holy Spirit, that brings alive within us the life of Christ, the story of Christ, produces the fruit, the attributes, the characteristics of God, faith, hope, joy, love, these kinds of things. Uh, John 14, up on the screen, John 14, 27, 26, 27. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. Joy is known in Christ and the story of Christ. Joy is known by the Holy Spirit that reminds us of Christ and all that Christ has said. It says, peace I live, leave with you. My peace I give you. It's this gift that comes from Christ. It's peace. But we could, we could substitute peace. We could, say, we could imagine Christ saying, joy I leave with you. It's my joy that I give you. Faith I leave with you. It's my faith that I leave with you. Hope I leave with you. It's my hope that I leave with you. Something other than a positive confession. Something other than saying something that's absurd in the face of reality. Joy springs forth, develops, comes to life, uh, takes root, springs up, wells up within, um, is animated, comes to life in our lives as a result of faith and wonder and hope which is the work of the Spirit in our lives, which is knowing the story of Christ, which is knowing Christ. It's not optimism. It's not positive thinking. It's the fruit of the Spirit and of a life lived in the story of Jesus in the life of Christ. Why? Because when I know what Jesus was up to in the world and what Jesus did in dying on the cross and the resurrection that Jesus will come again, it causes some faith to rise up to go, hey, there's something I can believe in. Other than the realities of life. There's something I can believe in amongst the realities of life. Hope because, man, I I have this hope that this isn't the final chapter. That there's more chapters to unfold. The story hasn't come to an end. I have this hope that there's this this wonder. I wonder 
I wonder what God can do in this situation. So you imagine a stormy season. There's this faith in the midst of the storm that somehow Jesus can do something and lead me and teach me something, remind me of something, be present to me. There's this hope that somehow life will come out of that. There's this wonder, which is awe and wonder, but even just the question, you know, if I wonder what Jesus wants to do in my life in this space, in this season, in this situation. And that starts to give rise to this, this joy that somehow, despite this being reality, that need not be denied and need not say the fridge is still keeping things cold when it's not. There's still this ability in whatever storm of life to go, but I have faith and I hope and I have wonder. And because of those things, I have joy that somehow Christ can do something in this season. Christ has that, the agony of that which is ahead, and yet the joy that was set before him. That, that the cross was not the final chapter, the end of the story, the finish line. That new life was somehow going to burst forth on the other side. It's not optimism, it's this deeply embedded trust in the story of Jesus. Because we're journeying through Advent and we're, we're journeying towards Christmas, let, let's... Uh, talk about faith, hope, wonder, joy, love, peace, those things. Let's just talk about those things in light of the Christmas carols that we sing. In uh, the songs that serve as the soundtrack of Christmas. Uh, that despite the commercialism and the consumerism of a secular Christmas, uh, these songs are nevertheless, nevertheless woven into the psyche of the season. They're, they're kind of entrenched in this time of the year. They give shape to the season. So let's just talk about faith and hope and wonder and joy coming just as we accept, embrace, live into the, the lines of some of our most famous carols. Uh, while shepherds watched their flocks, we, we sang that. Goodwill henceforth from heaven to men, begin and never cease. Goodwill, begin and never cease. So, so faith and wonder and hope and joy begins to spring out of this trust in that line of the story, that aspect of the story. Uh, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born upon this day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. So you grab that line and you go, oh, that's a part of the story. That's an aspect of the story. That's an aspect of the life of Christ, the story of Christ. I'm going to live into that. I'm going to allow that to frame my reality. I'm going to allow that to undergird my life, be the foundation, the rock on which I'm building a life rather than the sand. It's that kind of a reality. A little town of Bethlehem. Not my favorite one, but that's all right. It's got an amazing line in it. Yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. And then it has this most beautiful light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Oh, there's another line in the story. Let, let's add that into the story. Now, now I'm allowing that story to shape my life. Well, that causes there to be a little bit of faith and a little bit of hope and a little bit of wonder. And out of that springs forth, well, joy springs forth on those kinds of things. Not some confession of absurdity, but the story of Jesus. Oh, holy night, which is the greatest carol of all times. I just feel sorry for all those that lived before 1847 and never really got to have a true Christmas. But that's all right. When Christmas started properly in 1848, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. A thrill of hope, ah, faith, hope, wonder, giving rise to joy, a thrill of hope because yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. We'll put that in. O come, O come, Emmanuel, disperse the gloomy clouds of night. And death's dark shadows put to flight. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. 
Well, that's the story of Jesus. That's the life of Jesus. That's the person of Christ, at least in the Christmas carol version. And at this time of the year, well, we, we live into those. We allow that to cause faith and wonder and hope to begin to rise up within, and it causes joy to come up. Joy is a reality we can know in life as we live into these confessions and live in the Christ of those confessions. But it need not be extravagant. Just a little faith, just a little wonder, just a little hope can give rise to great joy. Mustard seed kind of faith, mustard seed kind of wonder, kind of hope that can give rise to great joy. Framed like this, then joy is found, experienced, known via the story that you live out of. Joy is found out of the story that you live out of. The framing story of your life. Which for us isn't simply our own story we come up, but the the framing story that is the life of Christ. No trivial thing that the story, the framing story of your life shapes your life. That is kind of obvious. No trivial thing, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, equate that story with fiction or fantasy. The story we believe is about life, is our faith, and it shapes everything. Essential thus to be shaped by the right story. The stories that we tell ourselves shape our lives. We want to be telling ourselves the story of Christ again and again and again. Which, of course, is the invitation of Advent to align your life your story with the life of Christ. We, we enter into the liturgical year, the, the, the Christian calendar, all over again in Advent to allow time itself to be shaped by the story of Christ in order that our lives would be shaped by the story of Christ. Even if at first or in certain seasons it's a tricky thing to do, a difficult thing, a mysterious not by sight, believing without seeing kind of thing, allow that story to shape our lives. All right, let's read from the silver chair as our kind of conclusion here. Uh, we're later in the story. Eustace and Puddleglum and Jill and Prince Rillian, they're facing off with this evil queen. And uh, it's all come down to this moment kind of thing. They're in her underground kingdom. Ta-da! And she is, um, they're in the underground kingdom and she is burning this kind of magic powder on the fire burning this magic powder on the fire that's enchanting them and causing them to have crazy thoughts and think crazy things Nanya she said Nanya I've often heard your lordship utter the name in your ravings dear prince you are very sick there's no land called Nanya yes there is though ma'am said Puddleglum you see I happen to have lived there my whole life indeed said the witch Tell me, I pray you, where is this country? And remember, they're in the the evil witch's underground kingdom. Where is this country? Up there, said Puddleglum, stoutly pointing overhead. Oh, I don't don't know exactly where. It's it's up there in the overworld. And what or where, pray, is this? How do you call it? The, The overworld, said the queen. Oh, don't be silly, said Scrub, who was fighting hard against the enchantment. As if you don't know, it's up. Up where you can see the sky and the sun and the stars. We've been there, snapped Jill. She was very, very angry because she could feel the enchantment getting hold of her every moment. But then it didn't come into her head that she was being enchanted. For now the magic was in its full strength 
And of course, the more enchanted you get, the more certain you feel that you are not enchanted at all. The more enchanted you are by the obvious, this is not in the story, the more enchanted you are by the obvious, the more you fail to realize that you are enchanted by the obvious. You fail to realize there's a world that exists beyond the obvious. And that can happen at Christmas. You get enchanted by deferred payments and and six months no interest and the wonder of gift giving and tinsel and these kinds of things. And you don't realize you've been enchanted by the materialism and the consumerism of it and you fail to realize that there's an enchantment beyond that. But anyway, Jill's all caught up in this. She found herself saying, no, I, I suppose the other world must all be a dream. Yes, it is all a dream, said the witch. There never was such a world, said the witch. Puddleglum was still fighting hard. You can play the fiddle till your fingers drop off and you still won't make me forget, Narnia, and the whole overworld too. We'll never see it again, I shouldn't wonder. You may have blotted it out and turned it dark like this for all I know. Nothing more likely, but I know I was there once. I've seen the sky full of stars. I've seen the sun coming up out of the sea of a morning and sinking behind the mountains at night. And I've seen him up in the midday sky when I couldn't look at him for brightness. Puddleglum's words had a very rousing effect. Of course, we've all seen the sun. By Jove, we have, said Scrub. Good for you, Puddleglum. Then came the witch's voice, cooing softly. What is the sun you all speak of? Do you mean anything by the word? Yes, we jolly well do, said Scrub. Can you tell me what it's like? asked the witch. Uh, please, Your Grace, said the prince, very coldly and politely. You see the lamp? Not, not the lamp lamp, but just another lamp. See the lamp? It's round and yellow and gives light to the whole room and hangeth moreover from the roof. Now that thing which we call the sun is like a lamp, only greater and brighter. It giveth light to the whole overworld and hangeth in the sky. Hangeth from what, my lord? asked the witch. You see, when you try to think out clearly what the sun must be, you cannot tell me. You can only tell me it is like a lamp. Your sun is a dream and there is nothing in that dream that was not copied from the lamp. The lamp is the real thing. The sun is a tale. Children's story. Oh, yes, I see now, said Jill. Heavy, hopeless in tone. It must be so. For the last few minutes, Jill had been feeling that there was something that must be remembered at all costs. And now she did, but it was dreadfully hard to say it. She felt as if huge weights were laid on her lips. At last, with an effort that seemed to take all the good out of her, she said, There's Aslan. Aslan, said the witch, what a pretty name. What does it mean? He is the great lion who caught us out of our own world, said Scrub. What's a lion? asked the witch. Oh, hang it all, said Scrub. Scrub's useless, useless Scrub. Oh, hang it all, said Scrub. Don't you know? How can we describe it to her? Have you ever seen a cat? Surely, said the Queen, I love cats. Well, a lion is a little bit, oh, only a little, mind you, it's like a huge cat with a mane. At least not like a horse's mane, you know. It's more like a judge's wig and it's yellow and it's terrifically strong. The witch shook her head. I see, she said. That we should do no better with your lion, as you call it, than we did with your son. You have seen lamps, and so you imagined a bigger and brighter lamp and called it the sun. You have seen cats, and now you want a bigger and better cat, and it's to be called a lion. Well, it is a pretty make-believe, to say the truth. Look how you can put nothing into your make-believe world without copying it from the real world which is the only world. 
The prince and the two children were standing with their heads hung low, their cheeks flushed, their eyes half closed, the strength all gone from them, the enchantment almost complete. But Paruklam, desperately gathering all his strength, did a very brave thing. With his bare foot, he stamped on the fire, grinding a large part of it into ashes on the flat earth. And three things happened at once. First, the sweet, heavy smell grew very much less. That's the enchantment powder the witch is burning. Grew very much less. For though the whole fire had not been out, a good bit of it had. And what remained smelled very large, largely of burnt marsh wiggle foot, which is not at all an enchanting smell. This instantly made everyone's brain far clearer. Secondly, the witch, in a loud, terrible voice, utterly different from all the sweet tones she'd been using to now, called out, What are you doing? Dare you touch my fire again, mud filth, and I'll turn your blood to fire inside your veins. Thirdly, the pain itself made Puddle Glum's head for a moment perfectly clear, and he knew exactly what he really thought. You could do a sermon there, but we won't. One word, ma'am, he said, coming back from the fire, limping because of the pain. One word. All you're being saying is quite right, I shouldn't wonder. I'm a chap who's always liked to know the worst and then put the best face on it that I can make of it. So I won't deny anything of what you are said. But there's one more thing to be said, even so. Suppose we've only dreamed or made up all these things. Trees and grass and sun and moon and stars and even Aslan himself. Suppose we have. Then all I can say in that case... The made-up things seem a good deal more important than the real ones. Suppose this black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world. Well, it strikes me as a pretty poor one. And that's the funny thing when you come to think of it. We're just babies making up a game, if you're right. But four babies playing a game can make a play world which licks your real world hollow. That's why I'm going to stand by the play world. I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan to lead it. I'm going to live as a Narnian, as if I, as Na, I'm going to live as Narnian as I can, even if there isn't a Narnia. So thanking you kindly for your supper. If these two gentlemen and the young lady are ready, we'll be leaving your court at once and setting out in the dark to spend our lives looking for the overland. Not that our lives will be very long, I shouldn't think, but that's small loss if the world's as dull a place as you say it is. Oh, hurrah, good old Puddleglum, said Scrub and Jill. But the prince suddenly shouted, where? And the witch turns into this, uh, the witch turns into a big giant snake, and so they get swords and hack it to pieces. That's just the part of the story. Gloomy Puddleglum musters up faith about the size of a mustard seed. Just a little bit of faith. Just a little bit of hope, just a little bit of wonder that pretty sure that if the real world that you say it is this dark, cavernous underground world with lamps and cats. If we've made up this whole thing of the overland and sun and stars and planets and Aslan and lions, well, even if it's made up, it's better than your world tucked away here. And he's going to live by it. He's going to live by the light of the sun. He's going to live by the light of Aslan. He's going to live by what we would say is the light of the world. Even if it's all make-believe, as the witch would have them think. Though, of course, it isn't. But Paruglam has a make-believe world that licks the witch's world of darkness. Lady Jill speaks to Paruglam. She says, Paruglam, said Jill, you're a regular old humbug. You sound as doleful as a, fu- you sound as doleful as a funeral, and, I be- and yet I believe you're perfectly happy. 
And you talk as if you were afraid of everything, but you're really as brave, as brave as a lion. What's Jill saying? She's saying there's something of Aslan in you, Puddleglum. There's something within you that is of Christ, is of Aslan, is as brave. Despite the rest of the time you sound as doleful at a funeral. Because faith isn't optimism and rather than pessimism. It isn't positive thinking or absurd comments in the face of reality. Faith is something that builds out of and from the story that we live in, which is the life of Christ. Hope that we live in, which is found in the life of Christ. Wonder that we believe and live out that is found in the life of Christ. That gives rise to joy. Joy isn't happiness or optimism or the positive thinking. Joy is something of the Spirit of God, known as one lives out the story of Jesus in the person of Jesus. It's a deep contentedness, a smile, an expectation, a perspective that says there is more than meets the eye and the story is not over yet. It doesn't shy away from the aspects of life that can only be described as heartache and horror. There's a realism to it. It's present in the pain. It's joy that can be present in the pain. It's hope that can be present in the pain. It's wonder that can be present in the pain. It's faith that can be present in the pain. It doesn't confess the absurd. None of this is even happening. No, it really is happening. Here's the test results or whatever it might be. But this ability to have faith and hope and wonder and to find joy even in the middle of that situation and circumstance. Despite the carnage in life, with a little faith, a little wonder, a little hope in Christ, we discover the joy of the Lord is our strength. Or as Julian of Norwich says it, as she put it, all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. Advent invites us to come alive to the true enchantment of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to resist the false enchantments of the world that we live in. To allow a little faith, a little wonder, a little hope to give rise to great joy. We shouldn't suppose that the story, the stories that frame our lives are just a little bit of fun or a little bit of make-believe or a little bit of something, this, that or the other thing. As if our lives are really framed by the facts and the, all the material and mechanical aspects of life. It's the stories that we tell ourselves, tell ourselves that form and shape the lives that we so we want to be telling the right story. All right, let's stand together this morning. Oh, Advent verse, Psalm 27. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Advent, Christmas. Always an invitation to revisit the story, to begin the story over again, to start retelling the story and allowing it to shape your life, your family, the lives of your kids. Let me close in prayer. As you go this morning, go knowing that the world we live in is a world enchanted. But it is a world of true and false enchantment. Don't shy away from the uncomfortable realities of life. Faith does not require this. Rather, look to Jesus. Let just a little faith, just a little hope, just a little wonder rise up and watch as great joy comes alive.
But the story you live, the story of this world is not over, has not come to an end. Is still to be wrapped up, summed up, caught up in the life of Christ. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morning and man shall live forevermore because of Christmas Day. The enchantment of Christmas is not deferred payments and tables laden with food. The enchantment is that of a new king born today. This season, may you know the love of God, the life of Christ, and the peace of the Holy Spirit as your source for joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.